Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I am not the Bill Arnold part of that phrase. Bill is away today, and I am Peter Kapsner, filling in for the day. Delighted to be with all of you across the Faith Radio world. Today is Thursday, and of course, that does mean it is Guy Talk Day for the first hour of the show. Usual suspects in with me, with us. I'll introduce them in a second, and of course, we'll give you the phone number that you can text in your questions as well for the guys in the power panel that are here each week. And gentlemen in the studio, welcome. I see Tom Parrish across from us. Tom, great to see you here. Hey, Peter, it's always good to be here, and I'm thrilled this guy's back. Well, we're going to introduce him in a second. This is a very unusual opportunity. <laughs> I this, know it is. You never know when he's going to drop I in. Know. And, and, I know. And My so we'll, There it is. James Bond. We are actually in studio with he of the perfect hair, he of the perfect beard, he of the gagging wisdom as a young man drives us all wild. It is Justin Jefferson, 007. You are here in studio, live and in the flesh. I I have to pinch myself. I don't know if this is real or not. I feel like I've been dreaming of this day for a long time, so I'm really grateful. Well, really you, you've, you've had quite the journey recently. You have welcomed yep. a new member to the family. It's part of the reason why, at least that's your cover story for that, being away. That's, that's what I'm telling people, but it actually is true. Yes, yeah. we did welcome a new little a member into our family on July 19th, a new baby girl, Cora Bell. And so we are now, yeah, we have a 4-2 and new year old at, at home. So Amazing. it has been a wild ride these last three months. That's great. Well, not only do we have uh, Pastor Tom Parrish and Pastor Justin Jepson, but from overseas across the pond, we still are uh, experiencing vicariously a journey through Italy with Pastor Tom Brown. Brock, Brock, you on the line right now? Mm, Mamma mia, pizza parlor. I'm going to go to for you. Hello, everybody. His Italian has not improved in the week that we've been away. Brock, you've been there for about three weeks, have you not? Uh, this is the end of my trip. I'm staying in a Catholic nunnery. All these Catholic <laughs> Polish nuns Only you, are running Tom. the guest house. But can I say this real quick? Please. So I, Beautiful Catholic sweet nuns running this nunnery, but anybody can stay here. So I go to breakfast. There's about 30 people in my room, and I'm, I'm assuming they're all Catholics. Turns out, and you know, I'm a Lutheran pastor, and a lot of my ministry is fighting the liberalism in the Lutheran Church, and it doesn't get more liberal than Germany's Lutheran Church. And so I'm, I'm having breakfast, and all thir- the, the people in my room are liberal Lutheran pastors from Germany, and I, it was just kind of. I can't get away from this. <laughs> but anyway. And you're back this weekend, right, Brock? It's been, uh, you're in I'm Rome right now, but you're flying weekend. back. Yep. I'm in Rome having just a wonderful, Rome is the best city on earth for sightseeing. So mm, I love it. Well, with that, power panel is in place. And of course, we do want to hear from you during this hour of Guy Talk with any question that you have, whether it be a biblical question, a theological question, social question, relational question. The guys are ready for all of the above. The phone number is 877-933-2484. You can text in your questions at any time. And of course, we have some listener questions already in the bank. But Parrish, I want to start with you because today happens to be your 49th wedding anniversary. It is, Jen. Mm. I got married 49 years ago today. It's hard to believe, guys. I just 
don't know where the time went. Yeah, well, it prompts the first question of the day is, is what do you do when the emotions begin to sort of run dry, perhaps, in the marriage? And that's not what's driving the relationship together. How have you navigated that over 49 years? Well, the first 10 years weren't very good. I mean, it was an up and down process. But as Jesus gained more control over my life and over Jan's life, we finally realized, hey, we've made a covenant. We've made a commitment. And because we love Jesus, we're going to love each other. And what's interesting, I can tell you honestly, 49 years later, I emotionally still love this woman as much as I did 49 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I haven't asked her about that recently, but I'm sure she'd say the same thing. (laughs) Well, my wife and I have only been married about uh, almost a quarter of the time that you have. But um, a practice actually that we do fairly often is, is remember. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think of Paul, uh, or not Paul, but of, of John's, uh, you know, Jesus's letters in Revelation, in, in Revelation 2 about Ephesians, uh, the Ephesian church losing their first love. The first thing he says, he says, remember yeah. from where you've fallen, repent and do the things that you did before. And so really that's been a pattern. And actually, you know, even real practically every anniversary, we spend time remembering our whole wedding day and, and taking time to remember. Even often we say, remember when we first met and, and even just going Fine. back helps us to move forward. Um, and and so I think that's one of the one of the ways for us, even just practically, and recognizing all of what God has, has done in our life. That's mm. a lot of wisdom. And, and really, if people would apply that and do exactly what you're saying, it'd make a huge difference in their lives. Mm-hmm. So yeah. good job. And Brock, <laughs> and Brock, just because you're not married doesn't mean you're disqualified from coming in. This, you've, I, you've seen, you've seen a well, lot of people married over the years. And so how would you get uh, into this conversation? I want to tell you that I can top all of this I'm entering my I'm entering my 68th year of celibacy. I feel right at home with these Catholic Polish nuns. We're just <laughs> one of the, one of the few people I know that can say that, Tom. <laughs> there you go. So, as you've counseled couples though over the years, are there some characteristics you've seen that that hold people together when the emotions begin to sort of run dry? You know, it really is what we've just heard. If you have Christ as the center of your marriage, you can get through anything. And uh, the, you know, I think it takes a lot of. If you know what you're doing when you get married, it takes a lot of courage because it is a thing for life. And uh, but you know what Tom and and Justin just said: if you have Christ as the Lord of your life, even if you go through horrible storms, you still uh, make it through. Yeah, I, I was going to say along with that, too, I think sometimes we can view, like we do so many things um, at, in marriage, like just as purely individual, it's just about us as a couple. And I, you know, even hearing this, Tom, like, I, I want to ask, can my wife and I go out to eat with your wife and you sometime? Like, there's, there's that sense, too, of We'd not only it. remembering and looking back over what God has done, but actually having somebody who's walked through what you're going into that you can take counsel from, receive advice from, receive prayer from. And I love when I'm at a wedding or something, you find, if you're ever at a wedding, find the person who's been there, married the longest. So they usually do the dance, right? Oh, you know, yeah. you've been married, you know, two months and they go to five years. And then the, then you have the couple out there that, you know, they've had hip replacements and the, the husband's got a walker and they got, and they're out there dancing and they've been married for 70 years. Go find them and have a conversation with them. And let me tell you, the things that they will share with you are going to help keep the love um, alive. It's fascinating. One of the things I've discovered over the years, too, both in premarital counseling, marital counseling, and I always thought he was a good counselor, but now I'm not that hot a counselor. But the bottom line was when I finally realized, and he told couples, if you want to counsel with me, or you want to go through premarital counseling, you've got to agree to pray three minutes together every day. Mm-hmm. And they look at me like, what are you talking about? And then they demonstrate. They say, you get 90 seconds, and your wife or your, your bride gets 30 seconds. 
And you can't pray about the other person. You can only pray about your relationship with the Lord and what you need to do to be a better husband or better wife. And I will tell you guys, honestly, 25, 30 years later, I have people contact me and say, that made the huge difference in our life because it really brought Jesus in on our daily relationship. And not that we did it every day, but we did it many days a week. It changed us from the inside out. So that's my best piece of counsel I can give anybody. And guys, we got a listener question coming in here about the idea of somebody who is married only four days ago and wondering about <laughs> what do you do just with having a night's sleep disturbed when you're not used to sharing a bed with another person? And I think this brings up the bigger question of all of these little things that maybe mm-hmm. you're not prepared for when you decide to share life with somebody. There's just one of them, right? right. But simple advice for somebody in this situation? Totally. I, I distinctly remember for the least, like the first couple months of being married, of waking up and looking over to my, well, see, I'm inside of the bed, to my left, seeing someone there and going, ah! Like, what do you do? You're not supposed to be there. We're not. Oh, there's a ring. Oh, we're married. Oh, okay. And like calming down. And honestly, part of that, have fun with it. Like, don't take it too seriously. And like, like, know that those are going to be the things that you're going to be remembering and laughing about. But honestly, it just takes time and give yourself and especially your spouse a lot of grace and a a lot of patience. Do you have a side of the bed? I do now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we we switched over the years, and I'm back to where I started. <laughs> <laughs> Parish, any advice here? Well, a lot of it is four days. Yeah, it's it's a new adventure, and mm-hmm. it's a lot uh, of fun, and you're learning new things. But it won't take long until you reach a point where you say, I can't really sleep without my bride there with yeah. me or my yep. groom there with me because you become so used to each other. Mm-hmm. And literally when Jesus talks about couples becoming one flesh, I don't think we've explored that very well, biblically, what that means, because there is a depth to it, an emotional and a psychological depth and a spiritual depth that I can't imagine living without. Mm. So for me, this is just normal. And when I uh, go away and I'm in a hotel, I hate it. I want yeah. my wife there with me. Same. Yep. This is Guy Talk here. We got the guys in studio. Text your questions in. We got several questions already in the bank, gentlemen. That will take a short break. Come back and ask uh, some of these biblical questions coming in again. If you have a question for the power panel in place, it is eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. We'll be back in a minute. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome back to the show. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Bill is away today. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in as part of the Guy Talk panel today, and we'd love to get your questions. We've got a number of them coming in here at 877-933-2484. Guys, we got a nice text in from Tom who said that he and his wife have been married for 36 years, but they have been praying for 19 years. It really is part mm-hmm. of what sustains the marriage, and I think can be a place that, that, that brings healing, yeah, right? To, to begin to pray together yeah, can yeah. really do some great work. That's wonderful to hear, and I wish every single couple would do that, that claim Jesus as Lord and Savior, because if they did, 
they would have a lot less. Uh, they'd resolve their problems faster. They would talk to each other, and they would learn to listen to each other. Mm-hmm. And the spirit would move in their life in an immense way. So I really encourage it and want you to do it. And and I was going to say to you, I'm sure there's, you know, a spouse or a couple listening and says, well, you know, maybe my spouse isn't a believer or maybe my spouse doesn't feel comfortable praying. Here's a beautiful thing. You can still pray with and for your spouse, even if it's not out loud. I mean, that's the goal. You want to be able to have that type of, you know, comfortability and intimacy. But I can tell you when I when I spend time praying for my wife, there there is honestly a unique, like, I want to even call it, like, I want to call it an anointing that like an experience of God's presence that comes that's unlike when I pray for anybody else. And so yeah. I think that that tells me that this is something that I was meant to do. This is something that God not only wants and desires me to do, but he will right. supernaturally empower and enable you to do. Right. That's going back to where we are talking about we become one flesh. Yeah. There's a lot more going on in a Christian marriage than we realize. And too often we don't know how to take advantage of it. We don't know how to put it to work. You're discovering that. I've discovered some of that. We want that to happen with every couple out there. So if you aren't praying together, just three minutes a day. It's all you need to do. And it's a powerful thing. The Lord will move in it. I think a lot of people find praying with another person in general to be a little bit threatening and kind of vulnerable. Brock, how do you handle it in terms of praying out loud with other people? Well, you know, you do it a while and it's nothing. It's it's easy for me to talk to other people, to pray out loud with other people. But, you know... People are nervous about it, but I would encourage them, just do it, and after a while, you won't even think about it. Hmm. Well, we do have some questions. They seem to be of the same theme coming in here from a couple of different listeners about uh, maybe some spiritual warfare. And uh, this one says, I would love explanation on what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 12, 43 to 45, uh, about um, the text just went away. So hang on just a minute here on that. Okay. <laughs> Rosie, you have the rest of the question there on the text line. Do you want to read that for us? <laughs> we're running we're running into some gremlins on the on the board here. Okay, so Matthew twelve, forty-three to forty-five, uh, it says, An evil spirit leaves and comes back with more evil spirits returning into the previous person. So in a confrontation with Jesus, we have an evil spirit that leaves but comes back with more. What's going on here, guys? Well, the context is that Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders of his day and to the people who have basically rejected the message he's bringing. And he's saying to them, look, what you're doing is foolish because the evil spirit goes out of you or you rely on your traditions, you rely on your backgrounds. But when you sweep your house and clean it up, but I don't come in and fill it or the Mm -hmm. Messiah doesn't fill it, Mm -hmm. guess what? More demons are going to come back in. So it's really a message to all of us. The message is this, that we just can't you know, repent and get a clean conscience and then go on with our life. Mm-hmm. But we have to keep inviting Jesus in to take control and to guide and lead us. And when he does, he fills up the house. And when Jesus is in the house, guess what? The demons can't get in. Mm. Yep. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think it's not just about what comes out of you, but what's what are you allowing into you? You know, and, and so I think who, what is who, what or who is, is in charge, essentially wearing the crown over your heart. And and that idea of Jesus, you know, he, at the end of it, he said, so it'll be with this evil generation. Yeah. So he's using this as as a way to describe, like you said, the people in his day where Jesus was physically present and only three years of earthly ministry, he was cleaning house. You know, and I think the ultimate yeah. kind of uh, uh, kind of the epitome of this is when he enters the temple on the week of his crucifixion and he drives out everything and says, you know, you've made my house, which is called to be a house of prayer for the nations. You made it a, a den of robbers, of thieves, yeah. right? But yeah. then just because Jesus did that doesn't mean that they're just going to return back to their same activity. But there is what he's saying is you're missing the opportunity to right. be cleansed 
but then also to be filled. And if you're not going to be filled, then you're leaving yourself open to the same spiritual uh, enemy and attack that could come back with an even greater force. And so he's saying you're missing your opportunity. You're in the age of opportunity right now. Wonderful word, because you know, opportunity is the key word. Go ahead, Tom. Well, I was I was talking with a person who does what's called deliverance ministry, a Christian guy who casts demons out of people. And I don't know what to think of this, but, you know, the question comes up, can a Christian have a demon? And um, And one person said, I only cast demons out of Christians, because if they're not Christians, they're just going to come back worse, like this story you just shared from you know, the parable about the demon. So, you know, I think Christian, well, I don't think a Christian probably can be possessed by a demon, but you can be oppressed by demons and have to have deliverance ministry. But I, I think the point is, but if you don't have Christ as the Lord of your life, why cast them out? Because they're going to come back. You need Christ to keep them out. Another question in the same vein here, gentlemen. Uh, Jesus called the devil the prince of this world in John 12, and Isaiah called Jesus the prince of peace in Isaiah 9-6. Prompted me to question, why do you think God allowed a similar title to be applied to both? What are we talking about here with this word prince? Yeah, I mean, I think we're, I mean, the, this idea of, of a ruler, uh, of having a, a realm of authority, um, and you would talk about, you know, Jesus ultimately, he's certainly titled prince, but he's also very much the king of kings and lord of lords, right? And and I think that on one aspect of it, obviously, uh, Isaiah was written much earlier to this point, <laughs> but obviously Jesus is eternal. He has no beginning, no end. He, and and I think he was the one who's all, all, all had the a power and authority from the, from the very beginning. So any title, whether it be prince or king, Jesus has already had prior to anyone else. Yep. And so I think it's he's acknowledging the enemy's attempt to counterfeit his kingdom and to try to combat his kingdom. Um, and, and ultimately the pride that uh, and the mystery behind this and try to figure, parse this out of when and where this happened in terms of Lucifer and to being the archangel and being of beauty and splendor. It was because of his pride that he was cast out of cast out of heaven. And so ultimately, I think it's he's acknowledging um, the basically the falsity of and, and, and the inferiority of Satan's kingdom compared to his own. You know, I don't often turn to uh, Bob Dylan for theology, but <laughs> in, his, in his song, you've got to serve somebody. You know, either the devil or the Lord. And really, Martin Luther said that a long time ago. He said, you know, we're like a horse. There's always somebody in the saddle. Mm-hmm. It's either going to be the devil or it's going to be the Lord. Well, the devil comes off. Yeah, he's the prince of this world, like a prince of peace. He tries to look good. He tries to look attractive. Follow me and you'll have great, great opportunities type of thing. Jesus is the only true prince of peace. And the problem is the devil will never let us really know him, but Jesus will. And through his word, he says, come to me, learn from me, and I will make you literally, you know, sons and daughters of the king. And he is the real prince. Yeah, absolutely. And the New Testament not only calls uh, the devil the prince of the power of the air, the world, mm-hmm. it also calls the devil the god of this world who has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so they can't see the glory of, of mm-hmm. Christ. So small G-O-D, of course, small P for prince, of course, but... Um, God has allowed Satan to be the prince slash small G-O-D of this world, uh, but his time is short. Does that mean Satan has authority in this world to call shots on certain things? How do we understand that he's the prince of this world? Yeah, I think he does to a degree. uh, I think the answer to your question there, Peter, is a great question, is Job chapters 1, 2, and 3. 
where Satan wants to do this horrible stuff to Job, but he has to go before the throne of God to get permission. And I heard an old pastor say once, nothing can come into the life of a child of God unless it first goes before the throne and gets permission. And so the Job chapters 1, 2, and 3, Satan does all this awful stuff, but he's on a leash. God says, okay, you can touch his body, but you can't take his life. And, and, and so it goes that, yeah, the devil's doing the, the dirty work, but God's in control of how much the devil can do. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. You know, I think also another title that even Jesus calls Satan is the father of lies, yes. right? And I think that um, when Satan sows a system of lies, and that could be, you know, aimed at you as an individual, but then individuals make up communities and make up systems, make up nations. Um, there can be systemic lies that whenever we believe a lie, we are essentially giving the enemy um, a, a foothold, you know, and I, and I think that you know, going back to the question about marriage, right? And the you look at at the end of Ephesians four when G, when Paul says, "Do not let the sun go down on your anger; otherwise, you will give the enemy a foothold." The Greek word there is tapos. It's a place or a location. So, literally, if I'm allowing something that's not directed by the Holy Spirit, and I'm following that, I'm actually giving a place for the enemy to have a foothold in my life, and so I'm actually giving up control. Now, ultimately, to you know, to your point, Tom. Italy, Tom, not the one right here, but <laughs> um, God is sovereign over all of that. And so that there is a mystery there, right, of how and when and what he allows and doesn't allow and uh, passes through us. So God ultimately, at the end of the day, um, has calls the shots and has the last word. Well, you, mm-hmm. you look at, and that, that, go, go ahead, ahead Tom. Tom. No, no, go ahead. Well, I'm just thinking it's a comfort to me when Jesus says something like, a bird can't fall to the ground apart from our father. Every little detail cannot happen apart from our Father. And I know that's hard to, how do you, you know, how do you understand the Holocaust, et cetera? It's, I know it gets hard, but ultimately, Romans eight twenty eight, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. Yeah, I think in terms of Christian people, you know, that's who the Lord works with. I mean, he's always trying to win the unbeliever through a variety of means. But the people that he really takes up authority in and residence are those that believe. It's his church. It's the believers. The devil, unfortunately, has many more people in the world that don't serve Jesus but will serve him. And they're pretty easy to manipulate, and they're pretty easy to take authority and power over things. That's why we see the evil we do. That's why we see the, the, the horrible sex trafficking of children because the devil's in charge. Guys, we've got to take a short break here in just a minute, but the texts are coming in fast and furious, including one text. And we knew we were going to get this today, right? One specific text is, when is Bill going to be back? I'll hang up and listen. And, of course, the listener is Bill Arnold. So, Bill, we love you. We miss you. We glad, we're glad that you are away from it. And thanks for the questions coming in. There is a lot of them. We'll get to all that we can in the second half of this first hour of the show, 877-933-2484. This is Guy Talk for the Day. Thank you. 
hey, it's the end of the year, and you are absolutely amazing in your generosity. Thank you so much. If you've not made a gift to Faith Radio, we would love it. You can do that at myfaithradio.com. Thank you so much. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity, in a special repeat performance. Welcome back to the show. I'm Peter Capster filling in for, for Bill Arnold, who has a well-deserved day away today, but it is still Guy Talk Day, and the power panel is in place. It's pastors Tom Parrish and Tom Brock, and 007 Justin Jepson, who happens to be in the studio with us today for maybe the first time that I can remember, Justin. It's been quite some time. It, yeah, it has been. I think with the whole COVID thing and you know recent life circumstances, I've been only been able to call in, so it's actually good to be here in person. You know, the tuxedo's impressive. <laughs> I like it. You look good. <laughs> it is indeed. Well, gentlemen, we've got a lot of questions to get to. We won't get maybe to all of them, but we'll do what we can. There's a whole bucket of questions on forgiveness and reconciliation. Let's start with this one. It says, what reconciliation would David have had to gone through after killing Uriah? Was there any human recourse to his credibility as a king or did everyone just move on? How did this go after he was in this situation with this in his background? Yeah, I mean, this is such a an interesting, complex, you know, story, but I think to, to distill it down to what happened um, and the ultimate response or um, really the restoration um, and redemption that David experienced hinged on the fact that he repented. Um, and, you know, that didn't come, um, you know, really David didn't come to that on his own. He had God sent him Nathan the prophet and told him that parable and basically said, you are the man. And um, but what's significant about that as well is he um, he remained king. Um, but and even though God extended forgiveness, he didn't alleviate all the consequences of his of his right. sin. Right? He said, "There's going to be violence in your house. You're going to have people try. You know, again, we had Absalom usurp the, try to usurp his throne. So he he had and he endured for the rest of his reign um, a significant emotional trauma um, and relational tension. Um, and so, and I think that, but at the same time, he penned Psalm 51. And and we see the fact that David, even though he fell really hard and sinned so greatly, he repented, right. um, honestly, deeply. He, his heart was rent. I mean, and and yet, and God still did bring um, forgiveness and didn't forget his covenant. He was still faithful to his covenant. Yep. I had an uncle who was a mean guy. He was uh, a bootlegger during Prohibition. I mean, he was quite a bit older than me. And he uh, ran around on his wife and he wasn't good to his kids. And I had the privilege of leading him to Jesus six months before he died. He actually mm. got on his knees, repented, cried, admitted what a bad man he was. However, the consequences on his family, his one son went to prison for 10 years and died of cirrhosis of liver at age 49. His daughter died of cancer before the FBI arrested her because she had been a Ponzi scheme with another guy and stolen a lot of money from retired people. So the consequences in the family were huge. And it's, I think we need to understand that repentance really does bring the Lord's forgiveness. But as you mentioned, Justin, it doesn't eliminate the consequences of how it affects our children, how it affects others. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, if you sin like that, the best thing he could have done is gone to his kids and said, I've been an evil man. I've done this. You do not have to do this. Turn to the Lord and trust in him. I don't know what he did in the last six months, but I remember my aunt telling me, been married 62 years. He said the last six months were the best they ever had. Mm. So he got serious about the Lord. 
And, you know, I, th- I think it's an interesting question that I've never thought of. Did David ever go to Uriah's family and say, I'm so sorry for killing your son or your dad or, you know, I, we don't know because the Bible doesn't answer that. Right. But, um, you know, when now and then I, I, I remember somebody telling me about their father molesting them as a child and their dad's a Christian. Well, the dad ever apologized to you for that? Nope. I don't get that. I mean, I think part of reconciliation is when you commit an evil deed, uh, it's good to ask their forgiveness for that evil deed if you now mean business with the Lord. So I think uh, we don't know what David did with Uriah's family, but we do know his he and Uriah, he and Bathsheba's little baby boy died mm-hmm. because of David's sin. And David repented, he fasted, let's not go there, Lord. God did it anyway, because this had to be done to show that God will not put up with this kind of thing. And, uh, you know, we're still talking about it, what, uh, 3,000 years later. But my question is this, where are the Nathans in the pulpits today? Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that you have to be harsher or cruel, but when was the last time you heard a pastor get up and say, look, if you as a Christian have ever molested anybody, if you have hurt a son or daughter, a cousin, another woman or man or whatever you've done, yes, the Lord loves you and wants you to walk in forgiveness. But you need to go to those people and admit what you've done and accept the consequences of it. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't do that, what you do is is you leave a wake of hurt in other people's lives that never really gets fully resolved. And I've seen this over and over and over. And honestly, as a pastor, it drove me crazy. And usually by the time the people came and talked to me, their father was dead, their so-and-so was dead, they'd already passed on. It's tragic. It's just so tragic, and it doesn't need to happen. If you come to Christ, and today you know you've molested somebody, by all means, accept it, deal with the consequences, go to them, and repent. One of the most haunting scenarios of my previous pastoral ministry life was just that. We're out in a foyer of a church. A, A man approached me, and he had recently been released from prison, and he had been in prison for molestation and, and the brokenness and, and the tears around, he will carry it for a lifetime. Yeah. But, but even, even of the worst of the abusers, and it's, it's one of the hardest things to reconcile as a kingdom dweller, right? That even the worst of the abusers can experience the grace of God and, and be invited in the kingdom. And, and that takes an otherworldly kind of forgiveness that I know I can't drum up myself. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it also speaks to the fact that forgiveness doesn't equate reconciliation. Right. Right. You're right. And sometimes that, you know, I know that's a complicated, I think we're going to maybe get into that in a bit, but I think the, you know, you can forgive somebody, but not be reconciled to them. God's pathway, well, it's, it's paved through, through forgiveness and that that's God's goal and he wants reconciliation, but that sometimes doesn't happen. And, often well, doesn't. and you know, do, do you remember when Ted Bundy had the interview with James Dobson before he went to his execution and If he meant business, he repented of his sin, he put his faith in Christ and went to the electric chair or gas chamber or whatever it was. I thought that was wonderful. And I said something like that in a sermon. And one guy in my church was very upset. It's not fair for Ted Bundy after what he did to go to heaven. I'm thinking, you don't get it. We're all Ted Bundy. You know, child molestation is horrible. Killing, you know, eight women is horrible. But everybody is sinful through and through. And and we need to, re- like the angels in heaven, rejoice over one sinner who repents. And I want to say to people listening, if you've had abortion, if you've killed somebody, whatever, when one sinner repents, you're forgiven. You There's rejoicing in heaven over that. 
Justin, I want to follow up on something you said, uh, maybe to clarify a little bit further about uh, reconciliation maybe doesn't, or, or, or forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean that everything is now totally fine in the relationship. But what's interesting about that is we do preach the gospel of the good news that Jesus will forgive us of our sins and there's a reconciliation like we are now fine. But I, but I think you're teasing out something different that maybe that doesn't mean there's a full restoration of trust immediately. It doesn't mean that everything's like forgotten and we're all okay. So yep. if you can tease that out a little bit more, the difference between forgiveness and, and reconciliation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think it's, um, it's, it's a different when, when it happens vertically between a person and, and God. That, that that forgiveness, God doesn't forgive us, but yet we're not reconciled to him and that idea. So I think there's that. But because we've been reconciled to God, you know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we have now been given the the ministry of reconciliation, yes. right? And so that now there needs to be an outworking of that reality that's been established vertically by between us and the Lord out to our relationships with everybody else. Um, now, uh, <laughs> we're dealing with other sinful humans and other people that are also um, uh, growing in grace, right? And there are different places in their walk with the Lord. And so, uh, you know, what I mean by the forgiveness doesn't always mean reconciliation is that it always takes two. And so I can be willing to reconcile with you. Mm. And Peter, you could hurt me deeply for something, you know what? And you don't think you did anything wrong. And I said, you know what? I forgive you for, and like, I don't care, whatever. I'm just going to keep living my own life. Well, hold on a second. No, no, no. I, I could I could do whatever I can. You know, Paul says, as far as it depends on you in Romans 12, be at peace with everybody. Which there's this hard reality of living a broken, sinful, fallen world that there's going to be others that don't want to reconcile. They don't want to have hmm. peace. Um, and so the part of the forgiveness um, is it's releasing me from uh, from really hinging my life, <laughs> my joy, uh, my value, my purpose to a wound that somebody else has inflicted or sinned against me. And so, and what that does is it, it keeps me from, from becoming bitter. And you know, that, that old adage that, you know, bitterness is like the poison that you swallow, hoping the other person dies. Yeah. Mm. Right. And so that forgiveness releases me of that, but that's not meant to stop there. God wants shalom. He wants peace. He wants, he, he, what's Jesus's prayer that we would be one as we are one with the Father and, and heaven and Jesus is one. And so that oneness and unity um, is is God's goal. Um, and it can be accomplished and can be achieved. But it's really, really messy when that starts to be worked out horizontally. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah, it does. It really and does. I think Satan works overtime on this because in Christianity, we all believe in a personal God in Jesus Christ. But he's not our private God. But we use so much of that with Christianity. So, you know, what we say is in in confession or whatever else. Yes, you know, you receive forgiveness from the Lord for what you've done. But oftentimes we don't say, now, go be reconciled with the people you've hurt. Mm-hmm. And in other words, it doesn't matter how you respond to my attempts at reconciliation. If someone's been forgiven, it is now my responsibility to take the initiative to do that, whether you receive it or not. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, all that's true. I, well, I want to say one thing, though, for people that are kind of guilt-ridden like I can be, <laughs> that we don't overdo this. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and here's what I mean. Uh, for instance, when the Apostle Paul came to Christ, did he go to all the people that he had persecuted and apologize? Well, the answer is no. And he couldn't have to begin with. Number two, it would have taken his whole life to hunt these people down and apologize to all the people he persecuted. So there is a, there is a blanket forgiveness, uh, but on specific things, the Lord will show us mm-hmm. where I need to go back to someone and say, look, would you please forgive me? Do we have one minute left? We do. Do you realize that the after World War II ended, 
Mitsido Fujita, who led the raid on Pearl Harbor from the Japanese, led the actual attack on it, uh, became a Christian to one of Doolittle's raiders. And he toured with Billy Graham in the 50s for a couple of years. And he would go to crusades, and he would say to people, if any of your family members were hurt on December 7th because of what we did, please come up to me. I will repent before you. Mm-hmm. And he did that for a couple of years. Now, wow. that is incredible. Wow. But we don't do enough of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gentlemen, that's powerful. And let's step away for just a minute here. We'll come back for one more segment of Guy Talk. We've got a ton of questions coming in. We've got one more that we need to cover on forgiveness. We'll change the topic when we come back for this last segment. Again, we do have time for a couple of more questions here, 877-933-2484. And we'll be back in a minute. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Afternoons with Bill. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in as Bill is enjoying a day away, but the power panel is in place, has been in place, bringing their wisdom to the table, specifically before the break, gentlemen, on the topic of forgiveness, but seems to be a hot topic for this particular show. So we've got a couple more on that. One listener asked, I have asked for my father's forgiveness when I have sinned and I have not repeated those sins, but I'm continually haunted by my past sins. I believe that I've been forgiven, but how do I, if ever, look past or beyond those past sins? Or is the Lord telling me that I will have these sins with me until I'm in front of him on the judgment day? So what are we talking about here in terms of still feeling the, the guilt of the sin of your past within your present? That happens to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Justin. You had a thought here. Oh, I, I guess just one scripture that came to my mind, and this I don't know if this is going to directly answer, but I think, um, and I, this is why I appreciate your willingness and, and to, to, to text in that question, yeah. right? I think the vulnerability there, and I think... I trust even, I don't know if this listener's done this already, but even doing it in this way, I think is a step in this direction of, you know, I, James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another mm. and pray for one another that you may be, doesn't say forgiven, not saved. It says healed. Yes. So there's a sense in our confession to one another that God, that, that develops a pathway for God's healing to flow through into our lives. And so I think for this listener to do what he's doing now, but even who's a, who's a close other brother to say, you know what, this I have, I need to confess to you. Here are the sins that I have committed yeah. against my father, and he has forget. Here I'm wrestling with this, but then it says for, confess your sins one and pray for one another. So he, that means that we need to get into community for us to really realize, like the the actuality and the supernatural impact of God's grace and forgiveness. I can't do that by myself. I need other people to incarnate that, to speak that truth into my life, to pray that into my life. And so I think that's that's at least one part of it. See, I think Satan loves us to privatize our Christianity because then I don't have to confess. Mm-hmm. I don't have to tell you. I don't have to be held accountable. That's a wonderful thing. And you're miserable the rest of your life, even if you claim Jesus is Lord and Savior. There are 59 one another passages in the New Testament. 
I can't remember ever hearing them preached on as I grew up or being taught about them. It's our theme in chapel this year, by Is the way. it really? It is. Yep. yep. That's yep. what we're doing with our home church. We're doing all the, going through all the one another's. But yeah. the point is, those are instructions for how we're to live among one another. Mm-hmm. And most Christians don't know that. You know, this concept of, of uh, forgiving one another or bearing one another's burdens, most people don't have any concept of that, and yet that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say to this uh, good person that wrote in, as far as the east is from the west, so far God has removed your transgressions from you. And so I would encourage you, uh, first of all, I, I, when I was 19, guilt-ridden guy that I have been most of my life, I heard a great sermon. The preacher said, every time you sin, you, I immediately do three things. Number one, I immediately confess it. Confess means to agree with. God, I agree. That was wrong. Number two, I put it under the blood that Christ has paid for the sin. And then he says, number three, I forget about it. So you immediately confess it. You immediately put it under the blood. You immediately forget about it. And so what, what I do often is when I ask forgiveness, I say, and God, I forgive myself for what I've done. And then you move on. Now, does that mean I don't remember my sins? No, I do. And, and Satan loves to bring them up. But you do what Luther did. You take Satan to the cross every time he brings up your old sins and says, well, they've been dealt with there. Next, you know. So just I would encourage this guy not to beat himself up. Receive God's forgiveness. Forgive yourself. Move on. If you get haunted about it, ignore it. Just ignore it. And because sometimes our feelings lie to us. And Brock, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking about the woman who broke the alabaster vial over the feet mm-hmm. of Jesus that had been forgiven of so much. And is there another invitation in this within the framework of maybe some devastating sin we've lived in that says that he or she has been forgiven little, loves little, but he or she has been forgiven much, loves much? There, there seems to be this interesting, weird economic proposition in God's kingdom <laughs> that the, the, the depth of your sin is met by the depth of God's forgiveness, yeah, which then true. creates this just profound love. And I think that's exactly right. And the reality is there's none of us that have only been forgiven little. Yeah. Right. And, right. and I think that's right. And I think that's that comes to be a part of it, especially when our struggle and in my struggle to, to forgive other people. You know, there's that saying forgiven people, forgive people, loved people, love people. So those go hand in hand. Right. And so uh, I often need to reflect on the forgiveness that I have received. I had a Bible school teacher that taught me a really good lesson when I was in, in my home church. He said, if you look at somebody like Hitler in the Holocaust, how bad that is, then you compare your sin to it and you say, well, I'm not so bad. It's, it's not that bad, what you're bringing up. Mm-hmm. But he said, I learned a long time ago that any sin, and he said, I visually see Jesus standing in front of me. Any sin that I commit, I'm spitting in Jesus's face. And he says, once I got that image in my head, then it was no longer, I'm going to compare my sin to your sin. I've already offended Jesus. And am I willing to accept his forgiveness and walk in that now? And that freed me from saying, well, I'm not as bad as my neighbor. I'm not as bad as these other people. No, it doesn't matter what the others do. only matters how I respond to what Jesus has done for yeah. me. And, you know, the, the other principle, too, that I learned years ago, when you sin, you confess it once and ask God's forgiveness. And the trap I used to be in is if I still felt guilty, I'd ask forgiveness five or six times <laughs> for one sin. And somebody pointed out, no, First John 1, 9, if you confess, he forgives. So he does, and whether you feel it or not, you don't bring it up again. That was me and, telling and when we worked to together. I kept telling you that. <laughs> oh, that was, you said that. Well, thank you, Tom. But, but seriously, you can, it, it's a, we got to claim First John 1, 9 and not keep bringing our sins up. Just confess it once, receive forgiveness, 
and move on. Mm-hmm. And guys, we could definitely stay in this topic of forgiveness for, for quite a while, but yeah. we have a lot of other questions to get to. We got a question from listener Madison uh, who says, I found that some people in life seem to know if they're meant to be married and others who know if they're meant to be single for life. How does God work with you in discerning whether singleness or marriage? But then she asked the bigger question, I think relates to all of us. I know people my age, myself included, get hung up on figuring out God's will and relationship with God becomes less than relationship and more of figuring out the blueprint that he has mm-hmm. for my life. What would you say about this? Mm-hmm. You know, I uh, I remember I the, the person who was in the role that I'm in at Northwestern when I was a student used to always say... Um, you know, I can't tell you who you're supposed to marry. Can't tell you where you're supposed to live. Can't tell you what major you're supposed to have. Can't you know? He would all the all the questions that we always ask, right? That we deal with, like how to discern God's will. He goes, but what I can tell you, and then what he would complete that sentence with or that statement with, um, was one of the many clear declarations of God's will for us in Scripture. Um, you know, we know this: rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if I can seek and focus to obey consistently what God makes clear for me, for his will, that's really, that's his general will for all Christians, right? Then, I mean, think about it. If I'm rejoicing, if I'm always, if I'm praying continually, and if I'm expressing thanksgiving, um, I I, I bet that's going to change your outlook and your perspective and not only grow you closer and also grow you closer in your relationship with the Lord, Mm -hmm. where you become closer to him, will be able to hear and discern his voice more clearly. And then the specific application of that, of who you're supposed to marry or not marry, what major you're supposed to select or not select, where you're supposed to live or not live, will become clear. But we so often want the answer to those questions first. And then, and and really, uh, and when Jesus is saying, "Hey, I've already laid out some things for you. That is these general guidelines. That if you walk in these, the the other things that aren't spelled out, you know, like I'd never read anywhere in Scripture, you know, Justin Doubt shall marry Maddie. You know, I didn't get that. I would have loved it. <laughs> but part of the struggle in discerning that is act was actually an invitation of the Lord in my life to step deeper and to grow closer to Him." in the context also of community. So also those, those specific things happen in the context of communal discernment with other Christians. Yeah, I've always told people, I had one gentleman who came to me and he said, you know, I've been engaged twice and I broke it off twice. You know, now I'm engaged again. Is this the right woman? And we sat there and I said, you know, it has nothing to do with her being the right woman. It has everything to do with you being the right man. And what I mean by that is, are you pursuing Jesus? Because he was a Christian. He was on my staff. Are you pursuing Jesus above everything else? If you are, he can work this out. If you're not, you're never going to be able to figure this out. And he did, and they've now been married 20 years. <laughs> Amazing. And if anybody is struggling, Lord, should I get married? Should I get married? Just I highly encourage you slowly and carefully read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul deals with this. Do I get married? Do I not? Lord, what do I do here? Slowly and carefully read First Corinthians chapter seven, and I love the the quote from Billy Graham's wife, and she said, "I have lived to thank God He has not answered all my prayers. If He had, I would have married the wrong man five times." Guys, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we have just about a minute left or so. And when it talks about pursuing God like this, uh, have you ever been like me, where I'd be pursuing God maybe for a predefined outcome instead of just pursuing God to allow Him to be what God is going to be? <laughs> My, please tell me I'm not alone in this. Most of the time. That's the way we're behave. <laughs> yes. I'm just as guilty. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It really takes a lot of work. And this is where I need other Christians. I need a Christian when I pray 
or a small group or like here with us because we have a lot of conversations in between and afterward. Somebody say, do you really mean that? Are you really serious? You want Jesus to do that? For me, that's healthy. Now, I've lived long enough to realize that that's the only way to get healthy. When I was trying to do it on my own, guys, I didn't have a good time at all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's, we all wrestle with that, you know, means to an end type of Christianity, right? And using our prayers or wanting Jesus to, as a means to some other end to finding something else. And I think that's, I mean, I love that um, his answers are always um, better than our requests, right? <laughs> so we could be asking for one thing and he's going to answer, but not in the way we thought. And mm-hmm. so, and yeah, but that's, I'm so thankful for <laughs> God's grace. And he, he knows that about me, even when I don't even realize it myself, but it does, it takes, it takes the, the, the wisdom and the discernment and allowing others to speak into my life, to be able to bring that to my attention. And yeah. then for me to bring that before the Lord and repent of that and say, I'm sorry, Jesus, I actually, I, I want you more than anything else. Well, gentlemen, we're going to leave it right there. We're out of time for today. But if you're listening right now and you didn't get your question asked here, we do keep the questions in a question bank for future episodes of Guy Talk. And, uh, Brock, we look forward to welcoming you back from Italy after the three weeks away here next week as Thank part of you. Guy Talk. Yeah, great job again today, you guys, the wisdom and just the, the reliability that, that you have to, to help bring some of the kingdom to bear in people's lives. Really appreciate that. And we've got another hour ahead on Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Thanks again for listening to Guy Talk. We'll catch you again soon on Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.